0: how are you doing? What questions do you have? Just keep asking them, what questions do you have? What questions do you have? And I was shocked. Like I said, my oldest was four when we went through this and she had medical questions, right? Some of them I knew, many of them I knew just from my background, some of them I didn't. And we figured it, we sat down and figured it out together. So I really, really look at a family as a team.
1: It's not about besting the enemy it's not about becoming better than someone else what it is is about learning how to get better yourself every day and here at achieve greater we connect amazing and awesome people with amazing awesome people who need them so stay tuned listen closely and watch as your life unfolds through our next guest Hey, welcome, everybody. I wanted to say thank you for coming in and joining us today. As you just heard, we have the lovely Ellie Harden come on today, and she is going to share with us about how she is helping parents actually guide their daughters into a more powerful and more prepared life by building on foundational strategies that help them get there. So with that, uh, Nellie, could you just share just a little bit about you? Share where you, where you come from in life, a little bit about brought you to where you are today.
0: Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. It's a, it's an honor to be here and um, thank you for all your listeners listening in. And so, my life, um, like I know we have talked before, your life has been very uh, convoluted and twisted paths, and mine has as well. And so, um, you know, I'm a I was born a little girl in the Midwest of the United States, and now I live on the coast of the United States in uh, North Carolina. And my heart, uh, my mind, everything was set on being a marine biologist when I was very young. And even though I was in the middle of Michigan, so you know, I don't know where that came from, but it was there. Um, I give some credit to the little mermaid for sure, but it was still there before that. Um, but yeah, so, I went into marine mammalogy um, and I studied behavior and I, I really did accomplish that dream. Um, and I was able to go study humpbacks in Northern Australia. And I was able to study and do work at, um, in the wild and in aquariums and all the things. And, but what really got me and what I really loved and what I studied, um, was biology and psychology. I love to know you know, the inner workings of how things are happening functionally, but then also it's result that isn't so, uh, functional so much as it is perceptive. And so biology and psychology to me are just so beautiful. And I worked with it in the animal world. And then I moved to the human world, um, gosh, about 12 years ago, uh, to yeah 12 years ago uh it all blends right there's so many right. things that happen in there um but i'm really really uh, just so glad that i started in the animal world and i was just discussing this with a few people and my husband the other day too because when you're working in the animal world you get to see the instinctual the reflexive the black and white nature of being and i got to do that before I added messy humanness on top of it, right? (laughs) Humans are literally a whole different realm in every respect, Um, but really looking at the purpose of childhood, just black, if you're just looking at it with a black and white lens, the entire purpose of childhood is to raise that child to be an adult, right? Mm -hmm. And so, then we add all these layers of you know, beautiful and sometimes harmful, everything, humanness, complexity on top of that. But really when it comes down to it, our purpose as parents, which I call parents architects, we're building, designing, and planning the beginning of someone else's life, which is a pretty big deal. And so our whole purpose though, is to get them to a place that they can go from, you know, parent, uh, parent defined discipline, right. When they're little, it's everything the parent does at the first half of childhood. But by the end of childhood, we want them to get to self-disciplined leadership. We want them to be leaders of themselves. They don't have to go out and be CEOs and do all the things, but they, you at least want them to be a leader of themselves and have that self-discipline to do that. So I've been working in that realm for a while. I specifically, um, uh, work more with parents with young women. I happen to have a four young women in my home that are uh, 12, 14, 14, and 17. So it's an active home. Yes, I know you all like had this like as you're listening to that. Probably were like, "Ooh, yeah," and um, that's okay. We get it all the time, and but we love it. It's a beautiful, um, it's a beautiful dynamic. And is it easy? No. Is it wonderful? And I'm so glad I'm here. Yes. Um, But in doing that and being equipped with that in my own home and working with um, families uh, out in the community, out in the world, all over the world, and also um, groups of teens and tweens. So we're talking about girls in the second half of childhood that I've, I've been working with for quite a long time outside of my home as well. Um, it really gains a lot of perspective and uh, how these young women's brains work, what they need um, before they set foot into the adult realm and what they need in order to be successful in that. And so that's the work that I do.
1: Oh, I love it. Uh, I, I love I love that you actually made this statement that you know it's to become leaders, maybe not necessarily CEOs and business execs and whatnot, but to be able to have that self-leadership, that self-discipline. And that's one of the things I work with my clients is always, hey, leadership starts with you. Mm -hmm. If you can't lead you, who does anybody have to follow? Exactly. (laughs) You've got to start there. So that's amazing. Uh, So that brought you to the point of saying, hey, now I have all of this experiential knowledge, plus my education What inspired you to want to take all of that, put it together, synthesize something and bring it back to the world and say, hey, yo, parents, you're (laughs) screwing this up. There's a better way. Like what brought you to that point?
0: Yeah, Um, so I've been working in the, sector of, uh, family disciplines for a while. So I, as I told you, I worked in the animal world for a while. I, I, um, retired from all of that, uh, in the midst of my twins pregnancy, because when you're pregnant with twins, you just want to Drop everything <laughs> and be like, "This is my only job right now." Even though I also have a two-year-old right now, but anyway. So, but within um, just a year of that happening, my husband ended up in ICU and he was in cardiac failure, early 30s. You know, we were going to the cardiologists and everything, and there was all these 80, 90, uh, you know, even centurions around, and there uh, are, uh, and we're sitting there, and he's. 31, 32. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it just turned out it's a congenital issue. It was also a hereditary issue. So there was a chance our fam- uh, the girls could have it too. We were three kids in pregnant with a fourth at that time. And we really went through a couple of years of, um, just hospital visits, uh, procedures, trying new drugs, um, really changing our life and setting our kids up in order to have the best possible future as well. So during that time, I really just kind of gathered everything that I had as, you know, as a mama, um, but also in the work that I had done. And I was like, okay, so this is how we need to change the course of the ship that we're on, right? We're going this way. It, it, we're, that's a storm going that way. We need to go this way, right? And mm-hmm. so I was using different techniques and things in order to slowly but surely um, change the road that we were going on both in our physical health, our mental health, our emotional health. And while also he it ended up, um, he had to have heart surgery in 2010. And we didn't know at that point, it was our last ditch effort. We had gone through all the drugs, um, we had been through every procedure, but um, this surgery was just—it was—it was the last thing that we had, um, and we didn't know if he was going to make it or not. So, also then, trying to fortify and have that resilience as a mom, being in that waiting room with my now four kids—you um, know—that were four and under, and not knowing if you know my husband's going to make it out or not. And I grew up—you um, know—my dad died when I was one and a half. Um, from an accident and so i knew i knew some of from my own life experiences what this could look like and and things but i was just so determined that a this isn't going to happen and b we are going to be okay. Right. And so um, through that life experience, you know, that led me down uh, one road. And then I started teaching in multiple different capacities on family disciplines. And because people started asking me about these things, and then I started teaching them Um, just about a year later, I guess I started that. And then I'm going along, I'm doing that. And then the pandemic happens, right? And for so many, I'm sure every single person listening to this, there was a pivot for you in the pandemic, right? And so when the pandemic hit, I had already been homeschooling my kids for uh, five years at that point. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden, every kid is home. And I had so many people reaching out to me and saying, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do this? Because you've been doing it for five years. So you obviously, you know, know something about it. And so I started then, um, just having so many conversations ended up building a course ended, uh, ended up just helping people learn It wasn't about, you know, what curriculum do I use? Or I could care less. You, you know, you pick your curriculum, do whatever. Those are the logistics. But the question was, how do I all of a sudden put on a new hat of responsibility in my home and everybody actually respond respectfully to that. And I'm not just parent and you know disciplinarian and all of this. I'm also now teacher, how does that even work? And so I started working in that realm for a little bit and really discovering as so many did that when their kids came home, they didn't know their kids in the way that they needed to or thought they were supposed to or quote unquote, should, I don't like to should on people, but right. parents were thinking I should know my kid in this way. And I don't obviously, and this is all happening, all this turmoil. And my kid is experiencing all of these emotional issues because of the pandemic and isolation and all of these things. And so it really just metamorphosed into this work that I um, do now, which is really building in them through vision, discipline, and uh, vulnerability and resilience toward what they need to be Um, before they leave home, which is having that, like we said in the beginning, that real confidence, right? That true respect for themselves and for others, knowing how to actually have a conversation and communicate and listen and look at perspectives, right? It's not just your perspective. You have to look at other people's perspectives and then also then um, applying all of that and having the resilience. And so this work has been monumental in my own family and so many other families. And I mean, that was really the, the road to get here. And I just, I I would see a need and I would come in and I would be like, okay, so that's where that needs to go. Oh, that's the need. Okay. We'll come in. And it's really gotten me to this point that I'm like, Oh, this is exactly where I needed to be. And I'm so grateful. I'm here.
1: That's awesome. Um, quick, quick question that just spurred something in me. Um, You said that you had to deal as a mom Mm. with kids, little kids (laughs) and hospital like surgery. So personal note, uh, my daughter has trisomy 21, Mm. Uh, it's Down syndrome. She was born with two holes in her heart and uh, we just got back from a recent appointment and doc says, Hey, one hole closed. And they told us at the beginning, that's, that's doesn't happen. So we're super excited about that, but they do want to schedule in the, the second the 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 open heart surgery soon um as a parent how do how do we navigate Mm. (laughs) a four a three and a one-year-old to that one-year-old going in for surgery the hospital stay we're going to have to do this in another state um, possibly two weeks one of the parents is going to have to be gone because we're not all going to live in a motel room for two weeks (laughs) like how do you navigate that with the kids like yeah my wife and I we're we're going to be doing fine. We're going to be okay. But to like explain that to the kids, support the kids, where do we where do we meet them at that point?
0: Yeah. You meet them where they are and that's what we found. I mean, communication, especially when they're super young like that, it can be taken for granted or it can be assumed that they're fine. They don't have grief. They don't understand. They won't remember this, but even if they don't remember the details, they will remember those feelings. Those echo out throughout the rest of their lives. And so really asking them questions about how are you doing? What questions do you have? Just keep asking them. What questions do you have? What questions do you have? And I was shocked, like I said, my oldest was four when we went through this and she had medical questions, right? Some of them I knew, many of them I knew just from my background, some of them I didn't. And we figured it, we sat down and figured it out together. So I really, really look at a family as a team and the parents are the leaders of that team, but you're all a team together. And so the more you can get that team mentality, especially going through something like that, and you know spread the responsibility have them be like, so I need to do this right now. Can you help me with your, your, uh, you know, younger brother or sister, do you think that you'd be able to do that? Right. Mm-hmm. And giving them responsibility through the, the chaos, and it really sets them up for success because they know they have a part to play in this and they're not just bystanders watching this happen. Right. And so the more that you can have them be a part of everything happening and the, the better off they're going to be and never, you know, kids are just adults in, in the process. Right. And so treating them like the people that they are, even if they're young, that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying crack open a, you know, a a anatomy book or anything, but if they have questions, then you can crack open the anatomy book and be like, well, you know, I think this is like this. Right. So it really is Instead of assuming where you can meet them or assuming that they're fine and they won't remember, they, they don't understand, really just getting their input and giving them responsibility in the process and working as a team, having discussions. It's, this is going to be hard and it's going to take all of us. So are are we up for this? Cause I think we're up for this. You think we're up for this, right? Mm-hmm. And it really gives them the the role that they can be proud of in their family. And you can be proud of them for that.
1: Awesome. Okay. That Yeah. Cause that's, that's one thing where I was wondering, it's like, I remember, I remember the States that I was in when I was a kid. I remember the feelings. I don't remember the situations. I mean, I look back at my childhood and I can remember playing kick the can. And digging a hole in the sandbox big enough for me to hide in, like, oh, my, I dug the whole thing out. I was a digger and a climber. (laughs) I was never, never satisfied with status quo. I was either at (laughs) rock bottom or the top of the tree. Right. (laughs) And, you know, there was a couple little things, you know, I I knew dad took us out camping a lot, but I only remember the two times where we literally were floating on our air mattresses in the tent because
0: happened to me before.
1: If we put it in the low spot, then we won't get the cold wind on the tent and then it downpour, And so we just float in the morning. And now I look at the kids and we go camping and I'm like, hey, yo, you're good, okay? <laughs> you you don't even come close to what I had to go through. Just get in the tent. Let's have some fun. And they think it's a blast. Yeah, uh, we we went out to go see our folks over in Wyoming and a storm came through and dad's like oh no these always come through they go about 15 miles north but they never come through here and I'm like alright cool went in a tent as soon as I zipped the front of the tent there was a crack massive hail <laughs> we had strong winds just about ripped the top off the tent it was blowing up the cover on the tent so wide we could look out both sides of the screen <laughs> my wife's like what should we do I'm like lay down and take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you want me to do? We're in the middle of a storm, and the kids are just like, Oh, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> they had no idea what was going on, but they're going to remember that moment. Yeah. In, in, in here and in emotionally. Yeah. That's what I remember is, is trying to remember that I don't want to do things with my kids. I want to create experiences. for my yes. kids Because the experiences will be carried with the things they go away. We forget those things like my grandma. even even when she went through with Alzheimer's, um, she never really remembered a whole lot towards the end as far as things, names, people. But if I walked in and I'd water the rose garden at the end of her bed in the nursing home, which wasn't really there, she remembered that her, her grandson loved her and then she could recall my name. Mm. So she remembered the emotion that was tied to those things. So when she saw those things, the emotion came back, which brought about the remembrance of who I was. So there was all of these little things. And I realized a long time ago, the experience that we have is going to be remembered far more than the actions or the the vacation. It's like, how did we feel on a vacation? Right. Um, I remember we took one real family vacation with my dad. And we drove all the way out to go see Mount Rushmore. And we did, it was about the size of a postcard because we got to the base of the road where everybody has to walk up to go see. And we made it maybe about 30 yards and we had to turn around and go back because my dad's heart wouldn't take it. Mm. My whole family vacation were two experiences. My dad freaked out because somebody's lights came on, you know, and shined in my eyes when we were driving one time. And I remember family vacations are dangerous. Hmm. And I went, I went 25 years and didn't take any vacations. I went 17 years once without a day off. Wow. I, 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 had to I, love
0: it. I went 17 years once.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we okay. With, without a day off because taking time off from work, it usually meant pain. I didn't realize what that was tied to until I sat down with it And just really dug in deep one day. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is all because the one time we stopped working because my dad was a hard worker. He was like, we're not working. I'm not going to go to work. And he made it clear. I was like, I'm putting work aside and we're going to do something as a family. And so he tied that. Things done as a family. If we put work aside, bad things happen. So I just worked. And I was like, wow. And it wasn't until I got old earth
2: (laughs) Earth.
1: that I started to realize that my job is it's yes to instill disciplines in them when they're young but it's also to create experiences that will actually guide them into being better self-leaders in the the future because Mm -hmm. that's what my dad did he didn't know it he didn't know his heart health played a role on the quality of my life after he was gone he's no longer with us he on this property went out to check the propane one night and took too long mom mom went out and found him laying down in a snowbank
2: Mm.
1: you know his heart finally just gave out but he's the guy that would go in for a quadruple bypass and then say hey i got a brand new heart i don't have to change nothing in my diet Mm. (laughs) (laughs) so He probably could have used your help, (laughs) (laughs) but it turned out. Okay. But uh, so what are the things that actually kept you from, from doing this sooner? Or is it something you're like, Hey, I have all these skills. This happened to fall in on my plate and I just developed it out. Or did you have something that actually kind of slowed you down? Like a lot of people, like, do I have, do I have the ability to teach or lead others in this area?
0: Absolutely. So, I would say, um, which, you know, it, it, it all happened with timing. I've gotten to a point now with my, myself, my own kids, um, the kids I mentor, the families I have worked with uh, in the past and now. You know, it just kind of got to a point that this is the time. But um, in so much of what our kids need and what people need, and the question they go around asking themselves, especially our teens today is, am I worth anything, right? What is my worth? And then if they don't find that in healthy places, they go chasing it in every wrong place. Right. And that's where we run into trouble. It really comes down. I've done so much research on this. I actually just did college visits with, um, my daughter last week, my oldest daughter. And I was, you know, uh, looking around campus, I was reading some things on campus campus. And then we had a long car ride and we were just really talking about this too. And ironically, she wants to be a therapist for young women when that's what she's going to school for. So, uh, so she's a good person to talk to as experiencing it, but also this is the, the field that she wants to go in as well. And it really does come down to that, you know, am I worthy? What is my worth? And ironically, that's what I have always struggled with from the time I was, you know, little, especially in my um, middle school and high school years. And then uh, when I left home to go to college, that was a big, big question of mine, and I did I I didn't know it back then. I couldn't have told you that back then, but looking back, I'm like that was my main question, and I was just seeking out things that just made me feel like I was worth anything. And then that took me down some you know darker roads that then took decades of healing from, and you know still on on that path. Um, but having my own experiences around this, you know, around this age of, uh, tween and teen, then having my daughters and then helping the community and then helping these families. I just think it was, you know, you look back and you're like, oh, that's okay. I see where this path came from and, and why now is the time that this is all happening, Um, but when you're going through it, it's, it's not easy and it's not clear, um, all the time. So, yeah, I would say what kept me back probably was just my own path, my own experience, the, the collective, um, that I've brought into what I can teach today, um, from my, my education to my personal experience, to my family experience, to the many families I've worked with over 12 years, but yeah. It is just that question. Uh, am I worthy?
2: Right. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I think as parents, we all, we all hit that point at least once, maybe twice a day, sometimes an hour <laughs> yeah. or you know, like, do, do I, okay, this, this could be taken to so many different ways, but you look at your kids and they look up at you and you say, do I deserve this? you know, and there's two sides that hit all of us. I know it does. If you're a parent, you've had both of these thoughts. What did I do to deserve this? (laughs) And what did I do to deserve this child? Yeah. Because it's, it's both ends because sometimes we feel like we are totally not worthy. And then there's times when you're like, what on earth did I do wrong? (laughs) Yeah. Like, does God hate me? just like what am i being punished for i was never that bad and of course your mom's in the corner going (laughs) hey she did like you (laughs) so now i beat it i beat her to the punch like when we're talking and i'll be like you know daniel i tell you he is so much like his daddy she goes what do you mean i was like well you know his daddy Just, just, I just strip her of the power of making him (laughs) dig, you know, like, well, you know him. (laughs) But I look at my kids and I see so much of me and them. And I realize it's not genetic. He's, He's three, almost four years old. It's not genetic that he's so much like daddy. He idolizes daddy. And the worst thing is children don't understand whether they're idolizing good or bad. They're just idolizing, they want to be like what they see. And for me, I often ask myself, am I worthy of being their parent? Not because I question my worthiness, but because I want to make sure that I stay in that zone of I'm being the right dad. I'm being daddy, (laughs) not just the father, (laughs) you know, not just the disciplinarian. And that's a hard one for our family because one side of our family had practically no discipline. My side of the family was built on two by fours in discipline.
2: Mm.
1: You know, and discipline. Discipline was severe in our household, but it was always done out of life, love, but it was only done in the way he knew. I knew you screw up, you have a consequence. Then you talk about it, but there was always consequence. And then you talked about it. Why did this happen? Do we want to make that choice again? Is that how you want to proceed? Shall we do this every day?
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know? mm.
1: Having the conversation. And there was one day my son did something. I asked him, I wasn't even thinking about it. I was like, well, were you supposed to do that? And he said, no. And I said, okay, don't do that anymore. Okay. And he walks away. I just kind of let it go. I was tired. I was exhausted. And, uh, next thing i know i'm like where where'd daniel go and i'm looking around the house and i'm like daniel where are you and i went and i checked the playroom i checked his bedroom i checked checked their bathroom and he's not in there so inside just holler. holler was like daniel you know where are you he's like in the bathroom <laughs> and i'm like i was just in the and i walked over he's in our bathroom naked sitting in the tub and i said what are you doing he said i made a bad choice I don't know how to turn on cold water. <laughs> because one day I gave him the option. I was like, hey, look, you smacked your mother. <laughs> you have a choice. And I'm like, you can get a spanking or you go sit in the cold water. <laughs> and so like all of a sudden there was a choice. They get to choose their discipline now talk about giving them personal ability to make those choices as they get to choose it and he was all frustrated because he, he didn't know how to turn on the cold water but he knew he made a wrong choice and he wanted to receive his discipline and it was like son no i says but because you wanted to be responsible and take take responsibility for what you did i says this is an opportunity for you to learn what grace is and so we talked about grace and he's like oh Okay. I should have known this was going to bite me in the butt. (laughs) And he said something at the table. And I was like, Daniel, just be quiet and eat your food. Okay, You need to finish up because he just was not eating. He was just wanted to play with the food. I was like, just be quiet, finish your food so we can all, you know, finish on with the evening because we all stayed together at the table. And he, no, I said, excuse me. And he goes, Grace, (laughs) <laughs> no conversation i was like what grace like can we use this card here does this work?" <laughs> <laughs> i was like that's that's awesome and i said grace that means you understand what you just said was wrong it finish your food okay <laughs> 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 so it was kind of cool because we see how quick they catch on mm-hmm. um and it's just a matter of trying to find that balance. Like for my wife and I, she doesn't like it when I discipline, but she doesn't like to discipline. Hmm. And I said, well, let's just look at it this way. It's not fair. And I says, I spend the day at work. I come home. And the only thing that they see is the discipline. And I says, you get to hang out and play outside and do the schoolwork together and spend all that time with them. And when daddy comes home, you go, Hey, they did this and I'm supposed to discipline them. I says, that's that can't happen. This <laughs> is I don't want to be the bad guy. And so we we found ways that we can work it together with it and where we both say, okay. So have you made any bad choices today, Daniel? And he looks and he looks around to see if mom's there. And if he doesn't see mom, he goes, nope. <laughs> and mom walks in the room and he goes, <laughs> like, oh no. I says, well, mom, did he make any bad choices? Daniel, did you make any bad choice? Yep. <laughs> so he's still learning that is it okay to tell the truth all the time? hmm And I I want him to learn that that not telling the truth always has a negative consequence in life. So we've started to explain, you know, when you do this, this hurts mommy. This hurts You know, if you get disciplined, how does that make you feel Hadassah when Daniel gets disciplined and she she gets sad and she expresses that makes me sad when you get punished, you know, and so all of a sudden he's seeing how this is affecting everybody else and it's really, really hard for me because my natural tendency is to, like all kids, do what we saw modeled, do what we saw modeled. So for me, it's breaking that cycle of modeling. Um. So when you're working with parents instead of is it about just teaching new strategies or is it about helping the parents actually break out of the old ones that they were taught it's
0: about both so
1: there's a um four
0: pillars that i really go through and in the first pillar It talks a lot about core beliefs and, you know, many core beliefs come from these first 6,570 days of our lives, those first 18 years. And so we really sort through what core beliefs do you have that you want to not have anymore? And then we start working on that process. What do you want to keep, right? What are good ones that you want to keep? And what are some new ones that you want to bring into your family, right? um, and, in your family life so that they can take those forward. Um, so that's just part of the first pillar that we do. Um, really talking about family values, talking about personal values, um, and a lot of perspective and mindset work, um, talking about how to think in a way that makes you, uh, help like an actual system that you can think about when you're thinking being like, oh, wait, nope, I'm going to throw that thought away, or I'm going to keep this one. I need to think on this part yep, it didn't, you know, go past here. So we're going to throw that one away type thing. Um, Because today it's very easy to become your thoughts. And, and that is sometimes what we are taught by society standards. But the fact is we have an insane amount of thoughts every day. And if you are, you know, those, I am identity statements. If you are every single one of those thoughts, then you are like this. Um, it reminds me of those books that you flash through, right. That are like, um, the flip page books and the picture. Changes every time. Mm-hmm. That's what you are every single day, which is why anxiety is getting so high and so out of hand. Because oh, I am this. No, I am this. No, I am this. Oh, that conflict conflicts with what I was. You know, uh, what I said I was three seconds ago. So there's that and everything. And it's so confusing and so hard on us. So how do we actually positively think through a process, right? And so we we really talk about that. And again, that's all in the first process or in the first pillar. So it really is. Uh, skill sets and mindsets. It is um, we get into how to discipline in a way that teaches them how to discipline themselves. Right. And then um, because discipline is teaching, it's not there's there's consequences. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And punishment. And then there's discipline. And we really uh, peel those layers apart and go through those distinctively. And then communication and communication today is really Difficult because so many parents and kids are speaking different languages. Um, And yes, they're all speaking the same, you know, like geographical uh, uh, language, but there's so much misunderstanding happening right now. And parents are speaking and kids aren't getting what they're, they're saying there because they're assuming things, right. That's the worst thing that, that any parent child relationship can have in there is assumptions. Um, and so that takes a lot of perspective work, um, but getting to know them getting to know their tendencies, getting to know how they learn. So, you know, how they take in information, getting to know their personality. So, you know, how, when information comes out, it isn't necessarily harsh or abrasive that they're trying to accomplish, right? That just is part of their personality, which then helps you learn how to guide them and, and teach them how to speak to others in a way that will be respected um, and received well. Right. And so all of these pieces go in here and it's such a beautiful process, but you know, you have to be able to um, drop the power struggles with your child, which is, um, first and foremost, uh, one of the things we work on, because if you, if you're in a power struggle with someone, you're not going to trust them to lead you somewhere. Right. And as a parent, being the architects, that's our job is to lead them into adulthood. So we have to drop the power struggles, build up truth and trust, and then the guidance can happen in there. And so um, and then we work all on resilience with uh, physical, emotional and mental tools. And the whole last part, which is so important, is application. Because too often people are learning things and then putting it in a drawer and they're like, well, that was great, but it, you know, I'm not going to use it. And if that's the case, then it, it was meaningless. So we want to teach and then we spend the whole last part of um, our, our program applying to those things that I call the inevitable impacts, because they're the things that your children are going to take into the rest of their life. Um, their financial mindsets, right? Uh, their education, how they learn, are they going to be lifelong learners? Are they going to be open mindset, closed mindset? um we're going to talk about um their uh faith right we're going to talk about relationships friendships all of that stems from these first 6570 in a person's life so um yeah to answer your question in short it's both
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> i love it um as as you have an opportunity to work with more parents um what are some things that you run into that that are holding them back from actually taking the steps to move forward and improve in these areas. Uh, Like for me, as an example, for me, to be honest, it would be the having to admit that I'm not enough. I'm not good enough at this point. I know it because we always have room for growth and improvement, but to have to admit that to someone else and say, "I, I can't do this without you. I know that's a struggle for a lot of guys. Um, what are some things that you run into when you, when you have the conversations with parents?
0: So I just want to stem off of what you just said too, because that is a big part, right? There is this pride, but there's that worth question in there, right? I'm not, am I not worthy to do this? I am worthy enough. I, I can do this. And, but when it comes down to it, first of all, I don't think, um, I don't think there is a book, so to speak, that can be written for every parent. Um, I think every family is as unique as a fingerprint. And so what I love to help people do is write their own book on parenting, right? And we're going to see you where you are and take you where you want to go. And it's not where I want you to go. It's not where, you know, society is telling you, you need to go. It's where you want to go in order to help your child um, achieve her best success. And so every family is different. So that first of all, but understanding, helping parents understand that they are enough because so many of the parents are stuck in this, um, comparative, uh, you know, perfectionistic, uh, society's telling me I need to be this way type of world, but really helping parents say you, you are enough. You are absolutely enough. And so I'm going to teach you how to use that in order to be the very best parent that your child needs you to be and help you work together as a team. But that does take vulnerability. So being open and being able to say to your son or daughter, you know what? I don't have all the answers, but together, I think we're going to figure this thing out and we're going to enjoy our time doing it going to have some, uh, some rough and tumble times too, but we're going to get through it together. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if we can have vulnerability like that and open, open them up, then that's, that's what we need. Right. That is what every family needs is that vulnerability working together, you, uh, getting resilience, the perseverance, dropping the power struggles, right. All of these different things, but, um, yeah, the things that hold people back are generally, Uh, giving up. There's a lot of parents that give up on their kids at age 12 or 13. I was, uh, it wasn't too long ago, maybe six, uh, six months ago that I was overhearing a parent um, that was having their daughter turn 13 and was saying, well, I'm so proud of the woman they have become. And, you know, it's been a pleasure parenting them. um, But, you know, now it's, it's their life. And I was like,
2: I was like, like excuse I,
0: me. I'm like, I don't know. And, and I totally understand, you know, cultural norms and in some countries that is the case. Absolutely. But that means that their first 13 years looked different than this person's 13 years that were in yeah. this country. Right. And, um, I, I completely also agree that adolescence is way too long right now. Um, you know, I, I was just, um, I'm listening to a study two months ago and adolescence today, when you take um what adolescence was this transference between child and adult, right? This uh this rite of passage, if you will. Back in biblical times, it was really short, maybe two weeks, right? Mm -hmm. That they were going through this adolescent transference. Um, And then it got to be a point that around the um, change of the 1800s to 1900s, it was about two years. And then it finished at about age 16, 17, right? By 16, 17, they were adults. They were out in their careers. They were doing all of this. Today, when you take the attributes that go into this adolescence transference um, uh, of, of a child to adult, today, it starts at six, way too early, right? Mm-hmm. But that's because of society and all the access that we have today and the conversations out there, starts at six, goes to 32, six to 32. And, and so is, is 32 to, yes. Let's just say yes. 32 Mm -hmm. is way too old for that. And I mean, it's way too old for that for, for many reasons, but let's just think about the loss of potential that all of these people are having because they're stuck in adolescence for too long. And they didn't have these beautiful pieces of life lessons in order to get them to a place that they can have a foundation to lean on launch from stand on and start a wonderful life. Right. I feel, I feel bad for the parents that have these 32 year old adolescents, but I really really feel bad for the people too because they're losing out on so much
1: yeah I see in my in my coaching business I see so many people in their in their 30s mm-hmm. and I hear statements because I talk to them about the important things in their life too you know we're in business that's where I do my coaching. But I talk about all the things that affect your business, your personal life, your relationship with your family, you know, your, your budgeting, your, your your personal stuff that all affects their business. And it just blows my mind. Every time I hear somebody in their 30s say, well, no, I mean, you know, I mean, like last month I learned how to do my laundry (laughs) and you're just, I'm sitting here and I'm like, I'm, I'm only 46, 47, 40, 46, going to be 47, (laughs) I think. I never do doing that. Um, and I'm like, how can there be such a huge gap in, I mean, at 14, I was doing my laundry. I wasn't happy about it, but I was doing it. I was, I was doing budgets for household budgets. By the time I was 15, 16, I was managing my money. Fourth grade. I was, I had a side job one summer. I did nothing but haul mulch every single day after school in a wheelbarrow with a shovel, you know, it's like, and then all of a sudden people just 15 years behind, they don't know how to budget. They're in their thirties. They don't know how to make a budget. They don't know how to do their finances. They don't know how to pay their bills, do their laundry. They do it's cooking, but it usually comes from a frozen box. You know, it's like, how, how is this generation supposed to lead the next? Right. And I look at it and I go, it's, as a parent with both kids in my 20, in their 20s and having a, a new a new group of them coming up you know who are just toddlers it really impresses on me the importance as a parent to be the leader in the home so that they never have a coach that goes i'm sorry you're how old and you can't do what i never want my children to ever experience like that I want them to get a coach when they get older. Cause I think everybody should have a coach in some area of their life. I really do. Yes. Yeah. Um, key point parents, that's you when they're kids, um, <laughs> but I want them to be able to grow up. And when they sit down with their coach, start talking with the coach and have the coach go, wow. Hey, I never realized that. Thank you. I want to implement that. I want them to actually bring value back into the world and not just be going, I don't know nothing. How am I supposed to function? and I think that's part of the, part of the weight that I carry, whether I'm supposed to or not, but that weight of just saying, I want my kids when they hit 15 to be where most of the 30 year olds are today. And it's not a comparison factor. It's just like you said, I see that loss of potential that, that, that cost of inaction by not preparing them to be able to take, take those steps. Um, I love, going in the other room and being like, hey kids, time to pick up your toys. Let's get to the table. And I walk back over to the playroom and I look in the door and both of them are standing there with a smile. He says, daddy, we already put toys away. (laughs) Awesome. Or I come in and I ask my wife at the end of the day, hey, did you take the kids out and go play? And Daniel come up and he goes, we picked up sticks and put them by the fire pit for you. Like they wandered around the yard and picked up sticks and brought them to the fire pit, and I'm like, "That's awesome." We haven't even had a fire this year, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but they're they're taking those steps of responsibility to do the things that they know is coming, and it's like, okay, my wife's a good mom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, as a it. dad, we will always not be quite enough in our own minds, but you know, uh, they're they're doing well. But I'm always looking for ways that I can improve. And I liked what you had said about just identifying what are some of those core beliefs that we took, um, from our youth and then which ones do we want to take in, which ones do we want to leave behind, what new things do we want to bring? And that kind of a, a transition strategy that I adopted in my life is three questions because everything that we do in life is a transition. If I walk mm-hmm. out of the office to the house, there's a transition. If I get out of the car to go in the house, there's a transition. If I go from the living room to the dining room, there's a transition so every time something changes, there's a transition we have to go through. And I says, you know, I have the power to pre-frame and control a lot of what's about to happen by just how I walk into it. And I ask myself three questions. What can I leave behind that will not serve this new situation? What do I need to bring forward that will benefit the situation? And most importantly, who do I choose to be in this moment? Mm-hmm. Because there used to be a time I would come home and I was still in work mode and my wife would sense a frustration, something going on in the house. And then the coach would come and try and fix it. all the men listening, don't be stupid. Don't do that. Just listen. (laughs) Don't try and fix it. So I had to start realizing it's like, okay, who am I going to be? Okay, I'm going to be a loving, kind husband. I'm going to let my wife know that I had a rough day at work, Mm. but I'm not going to tell her that a sewer line broke and dumped crap all over me. And I had to lay in it for two hours while fixing somebody's septic. Oh, I don't, she doesn't need to hear all that. She just needs to know I had a bad day, but I love you. If I am a little bit tense, it's a reason, but it's not you. And I'm going to be a loving dad. I'm going to be a kind considerate, listening dad and for me that's hard i'm not a good listener and so i make that decision of who i'm going to be and i started doing this every single transition i was very intentional about doing this for about a year and then i found out hey i'm not asking three questions anymore i just ask the one who am i going to be in this situation because when i be that person i find out the other two automatically take care of themselves by just saying who am i going to be And so I love the fact that you, you identify that there's things that we need to carry forward, but there's also things we need to let go. And there's certain practices that we can implement into our life. And if I'm understanding correctly, you, you help people identify what those are in their life and Mm -hmm. teach them how to bring that into their life. Is that correct?
0: Absolutely. You know, we um, have this very large uh, questionnaire in my onboarding process when I start to work uh, with people and in order to for me to see that. And then I go over it for several hours. And then we have one hour, you know, meeting recap before we even start the program, because I want to see exactly where you are. Everyone's story is different, right. And, you know, where you're coming from. And because I work with people all over the world, there's different cultures that, you know, I work with too. And just where are you? Where do you want to go? what have, and there's a, there's a section for mom, there's a section for dad, there's a section for each of the kids, um, whole family, right? And so it really is such a great overview for me to see where exactly you are, where exactly you want to go, what you want to leave behind, what you want to pick up along this journey. Uh, My program is called Map to Maturity, and Mm -hmm. because that's what we're doing, we we know where we are, we know where you want to go, we're creating the map to get there. Um, so yeah, it really is just, we pick up so much along the way in our lives and especially in these, uh, for 65, 70. And so some of that, we don't necessarily want to hold on to. And some of that we're like, you know what, that looks pretty good over there. I I might want to try that, but I have no idea how to incorporate that into my life. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we, we work on that throughout the program.
1: Okay. I love that. So I'm sure people are chomping at the bits. One of the things that I, I really appreciate about you is the fact that the most important thing is actually getting that, that foundation, that groundwork of saying, what, what do we have to work with? And I liken a lot of things to building because I come from a family of construction people. But my, uh, my uncle asked me one time, he says, what's the most important part of the house? And he thought, you know, I'm going to say the roof or some stupid thing. And I looked at him being all smart because, you know, I was a smart aleck. younger and I said well the bathroom and he goes why the bathroom I said because that's the only way to get rid of everything we don't want in the house (laughs) you know he laughed he goes okay seriously what's the most important and I said the foundation pouring the foundation Mm -hmm. and making sure the foundation is strong and he looked at me and I was like I knew I had the right answer I took some construction courses. <laughs> I read the books because I wanted to be like my family, right? You know, I wanted to know this stuff. And he looked at me and he goes, no. He did foundation work. That, that, that's why he was asking. He, I was thinking, I got this one because nobody's going to say that something else is more important than what they do. He said, no, it's not. That's it. It's not. He goes, no, it's what you lay the foundation on. Mm. He says, you've got to prep. Where are you going to put the foundation? He says, if you don't know what you're starting with, he says, it doesn't matter what you put on it. It won't Mm. work. I was like, okay, whatever. I was a kid. I didn't get it. But then I understood when I went in the military, then all of a sudden I understood because in the military, you dress the same, you walk the same, you march the same, you eat the same, you work out the same, you do everything the same. Why was I excelling past everybody else? because the foundation that that was applied to was much stronger. Yeah. That understanding of, man, snowflakes weren't even invented then. We'll just put it that way. But there was a difference between somebody who was soft and somebody who was raised hard, you know, and there was that resilience that was built into me. That was, that was under the foundation of everything that the military taught me. So therefore I excelled much faster because I had that understanding of like, Hey, You can't physically touch me. And the worst you can do to me is yell at me and make me do more work. But when my body can't do any more work, there's nothing more you can do. And then in the back of my mind, and I go, and there's no way that you can yell at me worse than my dad. So if I've done it for 18 years, eight weeks is going to be a cinch. You know, so I had this mentality, that foundational belief that there's nothing that you can do that's beyond what I can accomplish. And once I hit that point, neither one of us can do anything about it. So <laughs> just, just push through. And there are other people who are like, Oh, 10 ups. I'm so tired. I'm like, dude, shut up and get down, <laughs> you know, like push, you know? And uh, <clears throat> I, I love the fact that you're, you're like, let's, let's dig in. Let's let's unearth what's down there and figure out what, what we can build on. And sometimes it's getting rid of the old stuff that was in the ground. Right. You know, when we put the addition on this house, there was a lot of stuff we pulled out of there, old wires, some, some wrought iron. Um, We found a quilt in one of the walls. That was awesome. Uh, But we had to remove some things that if we left it there, it would just cause damage to the foundation. So we had to get rid of them. Um, If somebody wanted to go through that process with you, going through those initial stages and really unearthing and seeing what's there, what would, how would they go about doing that?
0: Um, well, the best place to start that would just be going to my website, nellyharden.com. Um, that's with an IE. So many people like to put a Y in Nelly, but it's N E L L I E H A R D E N. But anyway, yeah, on my website. And there is a wonderful family, um, or I'm sorry, parenting workshop called Ignite Her Joy, all about building that mental wellness. And that takes you through the process of that thinking process I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. And then and we can go from there and, and, uh, and see if the map to maturity is the right program for you. Um, and we have a wonderful parents community called the family architects club, um, that you can get to through my website as well. And of course I'm on, I'm on social as well on Instagram and Facebook. So, yeah, but everything you can find through my website, I like to keep it easy. I'm an, I'm a pretty, you know, easy, uh, easygoing, uh, I, when i was in college the professor i taught for biology um uh, professor hudock he would always just he would had a hunchback and walk everywhere and he would just talk about the kiss principle all the time keep it super yeah. simple although he said keep keep it simple stupid was yeah. his version but <laughs> that was the original kiss <laughs> yeah but um but anyway yes keep it simple and uh, so yeah you could find everything through my website
1: awesome I, I always laugh with the Kiss analogy because every time we use the KISS analogy, being the generation that I am, I think of the old rock band Kiss. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the irony of it. Do you know the most ironic thing about the, the band Kiss? No what? Do you know why they did all the face paint and did their self all crazy? No. Bunch of Jewish boys. <laughs> So they had to they had to hide who they were and disguise oh. with all the makeup and stuff so that they could live the life that they wanted to live and rock out the way they wanted to rock out. Wow! I no, like, I had no idea. They had they did the kiss. They, they kept it simple. Like, why fight the battle of ethnicity and rock and roll when we can just eliminate the problem right off the bat? Hmm. So they found their own way to kind of just keep it simple. And I'm I'm a big fan of simple because I, I joke with people. I'm the laziest business person in the world. Um, <laughs> if there's an easier, faster, more efficient way to get it done, I will. Because <laughs> I don't like doing hard work. I did that. Well, when that's I was what younger.
0: I yeah, that's what I find with parenting so often. Parents are taking the hard route so often and it's unnecessary. We you don't have to take yourself to exhaustion with power struggles, just let's stop the power struggles. I'll teach you how to do that. And then we'll move on and we can make it so we don't have to have them again.
1: So yeah. Cause you know, power struggle that only works. If one person understands that they can't win mm. <laughs> and children don't understand they can't win children. You want to learn about sales? Talk to a three-year-old. They'll sell you on anything they want and they'll do <laughs> anything to make you say yes.
0: That is sales. true. That's that is true. right
1: there. <laughs> didn't work for my nephew he uh, he threw himself down on the floor and threw a tantrum in the store one day thinking that was going to work when i said no to a candy bar boy was he embarrassed when uncle chad threw himself down on the floor and started kicking and screaming in front of uh, everybody else until he got so embarrassed he just stopped stood up and walked away and I, stood I don't up know him everybody in their place was just giving me these awful looks and one guy walks by just gives me a fist bump with a grin like that was nice. <laughs>
2: <laughs> nice.
1: I wish I could say I got credit for that one, but I, I read about somebody doing that and they said it worked. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's give it a shot. <laughs> I, got, I got no shame in my life. Uh, so I love to close out by asking a simple question of everything. Mm-hmm. And this is for our listeners. And it's for me because I get to learn all sorts of things about you. The question is really simple. From right now back to the beginning of the world, oh, if there was one person mm. that you could sit down and share a meal with, where would you eat it and what would you eat?
0: So, not the who, just where and what? Yep. <laughs> She's um, like, oh, no.
1: Oh, that's a long time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. So where and what? Um, oh, wow. That's a, that's a packed question right there. Um, it would probably, uh, I'm thinking it would probably hummus is the first thing that comes to mind for me. So I would want some of the original, like, Handmade, just hand ground hummus, and so that would probably be over in Middle East Mediterranean um, area. Not now, but a long time ago. <laughs> nice. Yes, I love me some hummus. <laughs> All
1: right, awesome. I like that. I love that. Well, you'd you'd like it. We make our own hummus here, so
0: yeah, yeah. We make Not we a- make some of our own here too, and I love it. But yeah, I've been a vegetarian for twenty. 20- Six years. And so um, yeah, and out of the six of us, four of us are vegetarians. My husband and one of my daughters are 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 not, but the (laughs) other the others of us are. So we have all sorts of stuff we do here.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything that you would like to close out? Last last words for everybody today.
0: I would just uh love to say if if you are a parent out there, just believe in yourself, believe in your family and believe in your kids. And don't just look at them as parent child, but look at them as the future adults that they are becoming because of you and because of the work that you're putting in. So just it's that, it's that slight perspective change that makes all the difference. Um, but they aren't just kids. They're adults in the making and you are their main uh, person that they're looking up to and guiding them through to that.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. Remember y'all there is grace, greatness, and beauty within each one of you. Now go unleash it in the world today. We'll talk soon.